Welcome to the People and Performance Podcast, featuring guest experts from such global brands as NASA, Salesforce, the Milwaukee Bucks, Staples Professional, IBM, Mutual of America, Zero, and Simon Sinek Inc. The show offers expert insights into the strategic capabilities and behaviors needed to grow and sustain employee performance. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the People and Performance Podcast. Hey, this is Chris Bjorling, People and Performance Podcast co-host and president at Fidelo Inc. In this episode of the People and Performance Podcast, we dive deep into some practical strategies, insights, and success stories from an industry leader who champions diverse ways to leverage DE&I initiatives to achieve higher overall levels of employee performance. Listen as we explore ways in which a more diverse workforce coupled with robust DE&I recruitment policies can become a catalyst for positive change, propelling organizations to new heights of success. Our guest this time is Kirsten Greggs, founder and CEO of Trap Recruiter LLC, a recruiting, consulting, and career coaching firm. With over 20 years of experience in talent acquisition, she's passionate about helping organizations attract, select, and retain the best people including underrepresented candidates, as well as helping job seekers find their voice in the hiring process. Bill Bannon and I hope you enjoy this conversation we have with Kirsten. And if you do, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Welcome, Kirsten. Hey, in two minutes or less, can you please introduce yourself to to Bill and I and to our listening audience? Hi, everyone. I am Kirsten Greggs, the founder of Trap Recruiter, LLC a full-service talent acquisition consultancy that is committed to bridging the gap between job seekers and employers by putting trust, relationship building, accountability, and a proactive approach back into the recruiting life cycle. I hail from New Jersey, but I now live in Northern Virginia outside of Washington, D.C. I love coffee, bacon, popcorn, and uh, that's about it. I love the bacon reference. Thank you so much. So talk to me because we talked earlier and it was it was fun to feel this and hear this from you. But talk to me about your passion for recruiting. So anytime uh, someone asks me that, I, you know, my question is, how can you not be passionate about recruiting? Uh, we spend a, the majority of our lives at work, uh, those of us who are of working age. And it's just exciting and it feels good to be a part of making someone else feel good, uh, connecting them to the right job that's going to, you know, help sustain them and those type of things. So being a part of that is is what excites me. Uh, and, you know, I'm passionate about recruiting because I love what I do. Um, like I said, it's fun. Uh, I appreciate the companies that I have an opportunity to recruit for. And if we're honest, you know, a angry recruiter is is probably going to be your worst enemy uh, because if you're not excited about the things that you're doing, the company that that you're supporting is going to come through in your recruiting process is going to come through with your employees. So having recruiters that are passionate about their work, even, you know, the majority of the time uh, is going to yield high rewards for the organization, for your employees and for the recruiters themselves. That's great. I, I love the concept about the angry recruiter or the angry passion that, that gets up there. Cause you see that and you, you, you kind of get what you attract. So that's a great story. So let's talk about recruit, re, uh, attracting and recruiting strategies here. Mm-hmm. So can you share a couple, two, three of your top uh, diversity recruiting strategies that you 
work with and that, you know, you've seen achieve better results and better levels in, in DE&I, you know, in, in the workplaces that you've been work, working with? I always start with recruiters. Uh, a lot of times when, when folks complain about their diversity strategies not working or them not being able to attract, to attract diverse uh, candidates, it's because they don't have a diverse recruiting staff, uh, people that can relate to the people that they're supposed to be bringing into the organization. I mean, that's the first step in, in uh, relationship building, which is a huge part of recruiting. You know, you you want to find a common ground. You want to find a commonality as well. You when you have, for example, college recruiters. That's why most of the college recruiters are also not too uh, long out of school, or they've been college recruiting for enough time and they stay on the pulse uh, and they keep again other young people or younger people uh, at the forefront of their recruiting, um, they, they become the face of the recruiting efforts. Same with executive recruiting. You don't pull in a, a junior recruiter to recruit for executive talent, um, for uh, veteran talent, or like you, you kind of want to have someone who knows what it's like to have uh, been in the armed forces and things like that. So like I said, having a diverse work, having a diverse recruiting staff is one of the key drivers in building better re diverse recruitment strategies. Also, um, I know we're talking a lot about it and it became this big thing, uh, especially during the pandemic, but remote work um, is another di diversity strategy because when we're only focused on our geographic locations, like those, you know, those areas where we are. I mean, we know why companies choose certain areas to <laughs> place their buildings. It could be cheaper. They could be locations that are not easily accessible to say public transportation. Uh, so if you don't have a car, you can't get there. And not having a car is not a requirement uh, for a to, to have a position. You know what I'm saying? Um, there are also people with different abilities, maybe neurodiverse, um, Maybe they are in a wheelchair, whatever the case may be, that maybe can't get to to a place or maybe your building is not as accessible as it should be. So allowing for remote work opens up um, your 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 talent pool. Uh, you can even have people across the country like I work remotely um, and, you know, I'm talking to you all right now. You're in upstate New York. Bill is in Canada. So, you know, that that's a, a a big thing like you can find you can find great talent in in all areas and then um a lot of us do have diversity strategies so we spend our time you know crafting these things you know putting the right search terms and you know we're gonna buy all these tools maybe or you know we're gonna use these these words or we're gonna put up these images and we're gonna put up this content but a lot of times we're, we're fishing in the same pond, so to speak. So if you're not actually doing more outreach outside of your regular areas, then your diversity strategies aren't going to be as effective as you'd like them to be. So those will be my top three. Expanding um, your sourcing pool, like getting outside of the, the waters that you're used to, diversifying your recruiting team, and then, you know, where possible, um, really leaning into a more remote workforce.
Excellent, excellent pieces there. So let's mm-hmm. let's kind of switch this a little bit and put the shoe on the foot of the candidate. Okay. So let me ask you this question. So what do many ca- job candidates get wrong when they w- are working with a recruiter? Give us that lowdown. <laughs> so many things. Uh, they think we're their enemy, that we're some kind of evil gatekeeper that wants to keep them from jobs. Uh, and that's not always the case. Uh, recruiters, really can be your partners. Recruiters can be your advocates. They can be the ones that are, especially third-party recruiters who are representing um, the the candidates late to an organization. Like they're really there. You know, I don't like to use this term with people, but like really selling you to um, the organization, really, you know, as they say, bigging you up, um, promoting you, amplifying you, saying the things that you know, you don't know what to say about yourself because a lot of people humble themselves and diminish themselves, uh, especially in the recruiting process. So like partner with us. We're not your enemy. And then that choosing. And then the second biggest thing is like thinking that one recruiter fits all like one size does not fit all with recruiters because there are some who specialize in healthcare, some that specialize in tech, some that specialize in early careers, some that specialize in, in certain industries. So you can't just go and like say recruiter, get me a job. That's not how it works. Like you have to find a recruiter. That's a good fit for you as well. I love it. I love it. And and your passion comes through on that side of the fence too, is like, you. you know, it's, you know, the, the flavors of the candidates as they come through and, and what they're doing. So, all right, let me come back into now into the workforce, into the organization. Uh, what do many employers get wrong when trying to recruit a more diverse workforce and, and how can they make their employer brand more appealing to the, the candidates that are out there? Okay. What are they getting wrong? Again, applying those diversity strategies to the same stale candidate pool, um, not having real talent attraction uh, strategies, meaning like you can't keep you like you can't keep the same uh, job job postings that aren't inclusive. Uh, you can't keep having the same interview slates that um, you know again, don't have a diverse set of interviewers there. Uh, what else? Focusing too much on numbers, uh, like quotas, like that you're really not trying, you're just just for the sake of saying you did something, that you're doing diversity recruiting, meaning I'm going to interview three people, two of them have to be from a diverse background. But at the end of the day, you're really not committed to hiring someone from a diverse background. You're just kind of checking that box and filling that. And then I don't think we give enough time for us to see the outcomes. We're too focused on the short term. Like I said, we'll we'll put out there, oh my goodness, I interviewed 12, um, you know, folks from a diverse uh, background, from a diverse college, um, you know, from one of our partners um, in neurodivergency, something like, you know, we did these things. We'll talk, we'll say that, but then we'll stop. You know, like we're being very reactive to things. Uh, And that's another one, just being reactive. Like someone will post on the Internet how horrible their candidate experience is or how how horrible their employee experience is. And then your reaction is to say, oh, my goodness, we're going to do a better job. And you have a DEI training and then the end and you move on. 
So not having any work, check the box, so then not having any long-term actual strategies and really measuring, you know, over time, what, what, are, what are your goals going to be? Um, and then lastly, being transparent. We still talk about pay transparency. That is one of the best ways to, to, to really show that you have a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion is not only putting up your, your salaries when you're recruiting, but letting your workforce know how much the other people that they're working with, their colleagues, uh, the people who are on their same level, doing their same job are making and why, uh, and then fixing any issues that you have. So that, there it is. Kirsten, I feel like uh, Chris has been doing all the talking so far, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in now okay. uh, with a with a few questions. I'd, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about something that um, folks like to talk about at the moment. Um, they're fascinated by it. I I uh, co-hosted a Disrupt HR London UK event uh, mm-hmm. last month as we record this episode, and uh, six five or six six I think uh, six of the talks out of the twelve were on AI and how it's influencing uh, the world of work and uh, and HR. Uh, functions and recruiting and all the rest of it so for what you've seen for the conversations that you have how do you think ai is helping to remove bias from the sourcing component and the recruiting processes that is a great question and i know that our intention is to use ai to remove bias but unless we're using ethical ai tools we're actually keeping the bias in the system. So if, if you've created tools or you're using tools that have bias baked in, and I'm gonna give an example, a recent example um, that was going around Twitter, um, someone put in chat GPT or one of the other tools, I'm not sure if it was chat GPT specifically, but like what does a um, the staff of a you know particular college look like? And it was extremely biased. <laughs> So unless you are using tools that can sit, you know, when you're sourcing that can guarantee that they have designed it and programmed it in a way that extracts that unconscious bias or even, you know, gives you prompts to do the, to do things in a, you know, un, in a more unbiased way or a more inclusive way then your AI tool is not going to be um, that effective. So that's my thought on that. Because AI in itself is, is biased. We, we know this. The, the good news is that in states such as California and New York, uh, mm-hmm. they are bringing in uh, new legislation around auditing of yeah. recruitment uh, technologies, which is great. So recently uh, I, I got the chance to interview uh, the co-founder from a company called Holistic AI, and that's exactly what mm-hmm. they do. Um, and yeah. they're, they're jumping all over this. So um, I'm still skeptical. I, I still think that somewhere at the top is a programmer and maybe maybe he's a middle-class white guy with, with his own biases and all the rest of it, and that's where it starts. I don't know if, if that will still permeate through, but it's great to see that things are being yeah. audited more. Um, and uh, and also, you know, uh, making sure that the the AI doesn't take over. But that's another conversation for for another time. Um, we are running out of time, in fact, uh, for this particular interview. Just a few more questions for okay. you. Okay. Um, the next couple are questions that we ask of all of our guests. Okay. So don't worry if you repeat some of the things that you mentioned so far. That's okay. Uh, we like to use these uh, these questions within the main interview, and then sometimes we'll 
take those out and create a, a montage of different answers to the, to the same question. Um, okay, so the first of those two is in one minute or less, Kirsten, mm -hmm. uh, can you share one piece of advice or some direction that you were given by a mentor, a leader or a colleague that inspired you to perform at a higher level in your career? Yeah, the best piece of advice I've gotten recently was to stop worrying about pleasing everyone and what everyone else wants me to be and be myself and the people that I need to reach, the people that can use the information that I'm trying to give them, the people um, that value me are going to gravitate to me anyway. Um, you're not for everyone and stop trying to please everyone was pretty much the, the best advice I've gotten as of late. And how's that working out for you? Uh, what, what's that doing for you in terms of freeing up time, giving you a new perspective, allowing you to be more present in the moment, perhaps? But I mean, this is not a, a people of performance related question. Actually, I guess in some ways it is. If we're talking about how it's affecting you and your work life as well as your personal life. I'd, I'd love to, you know, just pick your brains. Yeah, and what you just said, it frees up my time. Um, it helps me from not being so anxious um, and being in a people facing role. Like other folks can feel that, uh, you know, when I when I'm a little bit anxious and you know not sure of myself i'm a little less confident than i should be because i'm you know trying to fit into a box or trying too hard to make sure i say the right thing wear the right thing <laughs> you know not come across a certain way and when i just am myself you know when i just relax um again those things go away it becomes more natural and it's a benefit to to whoever I'm working with and for myself. So I can be like, Whew. and it helps me, like I said, free up my time because I don't feel obligated to try and do everything all the time. Pleased to hear it. Uh, okay, one more standard question that we ask of all of our guests and mm -hmm. uh, take your time if you want. You, uh, you've got more time, you've freed up some time. So take your time. Uh, <laughs> it, it goes as follows. Uh, from a culture and people processes perspective, what mm -hmm. does a high performing company mean to you? So I'm going to be transparent here and say that when someone says high performing, my anxiety triggers a bit because I start to think about being robotic and like, oh my goodness, like it's output, output, output. You know, I feel like a machine. Uh, I feel like the AI uh, in those regards. So I like to think more in terms of high efficiency and those type of things will yield to, you know, more output, better performance. Um, so yeah, I, when, when people think of high performance, they're thinking of, like I said, like make a hundred phone calls in two hours. I made that up. I don't even know if that's possible. Uh, but still like you don't like when you're, when you're focused on those type of things of those being the standards for what high performance is, uh, I think it becomes, for me, that becomes toxic. So I like to think more of high efficiency. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, and just finally for today, how can how can folks connect with you? So maybe you might want to share your LinkedIn, your email address, some of your other socials, and of course, uh, how can they learn more about Trap Recruiter? Well, to learn more about Trap Recruiter, you can go to my website uh, www.traprecruiter.com. I am at Trap Recruiter on all socials: LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Twitter. Uh, my Instagram, of course, has my link tree. 
as well, where you can see uh, interviews like this or listen to interviews like this. Uh, check out some some of the other things I'm doing, where I'm going to be next. Uh, LinkedIn will have all of my um, you know, upcoming events and things like that that I'm doing. So yeah, just all on social at Trap Recruiter everywhere. Oh, and I and I do host two shows. Uh, every Wednesday, uh, I do my own show, Trap Chat Live. Um, it's on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And also every other Wednesday, I host a show called Wins, Woes, and Wine, sponsored by Visage Jobs, which um, talks to recruiting leaders about their career journeys. So, yeah, check those out, too. Check those out, listeners. Uh, well, Kirsten, that just leaves us to say for today. Thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the People and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe.